Hi, this is Pastor John Meadow. I want to welcome you to our services today. And happy Father's Day for all you fathers that are here today. And we really want to celebrate you as well. Today, in my absence, Russell Gregory will be coming to bring the word. Russell and his family have been members of First Judas for many years. I've walked with Russell through some exciting times and some challenging times in life, including times when he came near death with a heart attack, not once, but twice. And out of that, he has an incredible story of being called by God into the ministry. He's a phenomenal preacher and teacher. He's on our staff here uh, as our young married minister. We're so excited to have Russell and his family in our church, and today, Russell to bring the word. So I want you to give Russell Gregory a phenomenal and excited First Judas welcome. All right. Good deal, good deal. Hey, I just want to echo happy Father's Day to everyone. Uh, this has been a crazy weekend for me and my family. Uh, last night, our oldest son, Gavin, got married, and I got to perform the wedding, so that was in, an incredible time. Uh, and in doing that, uh, it was the first time I've actually had one of my children that I was performing the wedding, and so in doing that, I was preparing for it and kind of thinking about Gavin's life. Now, those of you that are in the room that are a little bit older like I am, your kids are younger, and then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, they're graduating college and they're getting married, and, and you guys know what I'm talking about, but what we were thinking about as I was preparing for Gavin's wedding was some memories. And one of the memories I love about Gavin is when Gavin was in fourth grade, Gavin decided he wanted to play Little League football. He had already played baseball. He played baseball since he came out of, of his mother's womb. In fact, his first word was not dada. It wasn't mom. It was ball. And so we always knew that when he came out, he's like going, he's going to be doing something with the ball. And so sure enough, he wanted to play baseball, played baseball. And then his fourth grade year, he says, you know what? I want to play football. We're like going, okay. And I was at that time, I just finished up coaching. I just stepped out of coaching. So as a coach, I was like going, yeah, I want my son to play football. It'd be great. Mom was okay with it at first. And she was like going, okay, I'm going to trust you with this. And we're going to let him play football. So we go out his fourth grade year. He goes out to the peewee football's very first practice. All right. Now I remind you, he's never put on a helmet, never put on shoulder pads, nothing. So he goes out there to the very first practice. And one thing about Gavin and Gavin's always been really fast. And so I'm watching this practice and the coach noticed how fast Gavin was. And so automatically he says, I'm going to put Gavin at quarterback. So I go watching the practice. I'm watching them go over there and he got Gavin at quarterback. So as a dad, I'm like going, yeah, I'm the best dad ever. My son's a quarterback, right? And you know how it is. If you're a dad and your kids do great, you become a better parent. Okay. Don't judge me. So anyway, I'm watching my son go through the quarterback practice, and all this stuff. And I'm saying, okay. So all of a sudden, about halfway through the practice, I notice that the team is jogging down the other end of the field. There's another team practicing down there. So as a coach, I'm thinking, surely they're not about to scrimmage. No one knows a play. No one knows an assignment or whatever. Sure enough, they're going to scrimmage. So I watch my son go underneath the center to take the snap from, from the, the center of the football. And every time he does, the offensive lineman just kind of turn and look at him. And the running backs kind of just stand there because nobody knows a play. And so I'm watching my son take the snap, turn to hand the ball off, and he is getting killed by the defensive lineman. And I watch him take a hit after hit after hit. All of a sudden, that joy and jubilation I had for my son being quarterback went to fear and terror going, what did I put my son in, right? And so about the fifth play of the scrimmage, he gets hit hard. He gets hit hard right in the back. Football goes everywhere. His helmet comes off. He's laying on the ground, breath knocked out of him. And I'm sitting over there as, as, as a dad. Mom was at the practice. And all I could think about is don't tell mom, right? 
So the coach comes over there, gets him up, and he walks him to the other side of the field. But Gavin looks back at me on the other sideline, and he has this look that I've never seen before. And so I walk over to him, as a good dad does, and I walk over to him, and he looks at me and says, Dad, I can't do this. He goes, it's too hard. I can't do it. I want to quit. And so I looked at him, and I said, Gavin, I understand. You've been taking a beating, and it's hard, and it hurts. But I said, I'm telling you as your father, I would never put you in a position where you would fail. And so I promise you, if you'll stay with this, you'll see great joy and great happiness come from it. Fast forward a couple years later, he's in sixth grade now. He's on a team. They play for the Mid-City Super Bowl. They win the Super Bowl. We're riding home together, me and him. And I said, do you remember your first practice? And he said, absolutely. And I go, you remember you wanted to quit, didn't you? And he said, absolutely. I go, what would have happened if you'd have quit? And he said, I'd have missed out on all of this. See, there's a lot of us here today that we want to quit because it hurts, because it's painful. There's things in our lives that are going on that's just beating us down, and we just want to quit. And I want to tell you, you have a father, not your earthly father like I was, but you have a heavenly father that loves you with an everlasting love, and he has never forsaken you, and he will never forsake you. He was right there with you. So I'm telling you, don't ever quit. Continue to pursue this past year, <clears throat> me and my family have, have gone through some struggles. We've gone through some hard times. In the last seven months, uh, we've seen, I've been a part of fu- four funerals. I've been a part of a funeral where I did the funeral of my mother's grandmother, an incredible godly woman that passed away unexpectedly. Done the funeral of a 20-year-old Oklahoma State student. Done the funeral of a 17-year-old Eldebell High School student. And just a couple months ago, I watched my mom pass away. And all of that, I've watched families go through trials and tribulation when it hurts. I'm not talking about a physical pain that my son went through. I'm talking about that hurt that's deep down inside, that hurt that you don't even know if you can get out of bed. You don't even know where that next breath is going to come from. That hurt that says, I can't take that next step. That hurt that cries out to God going, God, why did you do this? That hurt that says, I want to quit. That type of hurt. There's people in here today that are feeling that hurt right now. And so the message that God laid on my heart today was, Staying strong when it hurts. John 15 gives us a great advice on that. On staying strong when it hurts. So if you guys will stand with me as we read John 15, 4 through 11. John 15, 4 through 11. John says, starting in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into a fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will decide, it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you and abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, 
You will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Father, I come to you thanking you for this incredible day. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come into your presence. I just pray over the ones that are hurting today. Father, for the ones that this may be their first Father's Day without their earthly father, I pray you would give them comfort and joy and peace right now. Father, for the ones that this may be their 10th or 11th or 12th Father's Day without a father, I ask the same thing. And, and the ones that maybe their father wasn't the man that they were supposed to be, I pray you would love on them today like never before. And then finally, I ask that you would open up the hearts and ears to hear directly from you, not me today. That the ones that are hurting, Father, would hear your voice and they would feel your peace and your comfort. And I pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, for we can do all things to him which strengthens us. Amen. You may be seated. So as you guys could tell, that the key, the key to staying strong is that word abiding. And that word abide in, in the Greek literally means to stay to, to remain. It, it, it means to be rooted. And when you think about that, we live in Texas and though we've been blessed with some rain in the month of June, we know what July and August is going to bring. It's going to bring sun and it's going to bring hotness, right? And what happens then is those trees that you see in your yard, when they're not getting the water, those trees don't just die. What those big trees do is those roots go deeper. They go deeper and deeper until they find the nutrients they're looking for. That's what this word means. It means to be rooted. It means to be unmovable. It means to be stable and enduring. It means to never give up. That's what abiding means. But when you hear the word abiding, you may go, okay, well, that's great. But what does that practically mean in my life? And I believe John gives us three things of what abiding looks like. The first one is it looks like it's dependence on God. Dependence on God. Verse four and verse five both speak of abide in me and I in you. As a branch, you, can, you cannot bear fruit without it. You cannot do anything without it. See, what, what Jesus was telling his disciples, if you read the book of John, in chapter 14, he goes and he tells the disciples about I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He's reminding them. He's been walking with them, but he's reminding them. Because again, you guys know that he's about to be persecuted. This is the last opportunity he's had with the disciples. So in 14, he's reminding them who he is. Well, in, in chapter 16, what he tells them is that these things are coming. In fact, in verse two, it says, when they kill you. Not if they kill you, but when they kill you. That's a great pep talk, right? But what he's letting them know is that you have seen glory, you have seen miracles, you have seen incredible things, you have been a part of all this cool greatness. But I'm telling you right now, you are about to face pain, heartache, despair, and death. That's what you're about to face. But what he does in chapter 15, he gives them the playbook. He tells them what they need to do. And he's telling them how they need to abide. And he's telling them how they need to depend on God, how they need to depend on that vine. Last night, I had the opportunity again to do my son's wedding at Greg and Pam Hill. They have, they have a place with their family uh, out by, uh, in Cool, Texas, by Mineral Wells, north of here, but they were actually growing grapes. And so I was actually able to walk through the vineyard they had there and looking at those grapes and actually pull some of the grapes off and eat them and, and just talking about that, that those grapes are abiding. They're connected to the vine. Those grapes would be worthless as we walked by and we saw some on the ground. Those are no good. But everything connected to that vine was incredible. 
We must depend upon God. Why? Because without dependence, we are absolutely powerless. That's what that word that says you cannot. That's what that word means. You are without power. You have no power. Now you're sitting here this morning going, what do you mean I have no power? I was able to get up this morning. I was able to get dressed. I was able to come here. But understand again in chapter 14, what did Jesus tell his disciples? He's telling them, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. But when I leave, I'm going to bring a helper, a helper with you, a comforter with you, that you will be able to do greater things, not just walk through life, not just make it through life, not just go through routinely through life, but to literally understand that what you're supposed to do is do great things, not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. That's why I love that song. He said, you split the seas wide open so that I can walk right through this. He didn't split the seas wide open so we can stand there and go, way to go. You split the seas wide open. I'm standing here on this side. He says, no, I want you to do greater things. That's what we have. That's the power we have. But without dependence upon God, we have no power. We're absolutely useless. No power whatsoever. First Samuel and David, David saw this because a lot of times what we do is we start out with depending upon God and then we think, oh, you know what? I, I can do this on my own. We, we get just smart enough to be scary, right? We think I've got this all under control. And so we start depending on ourselves and then we find out we're, we, we, we can't do anything. And David was there. David, again, you remember, he was, he was supposed to be the king, but yet he ran to the Philistine army, he ran to the enemy's side and began to fight with the Philistines. And the Philistines look around going, wait a minute, this is King David. We don't want him on our side. We'll be trapped. Get him out of here. So they sent King David and his, and his troops home to their home. When they get home, they find out that their home had been invaded. All their wives, all their children have been taken. Their, their home is destroyed. And in verse 30 of 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, I mean, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for their sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Understand at this moment when all these men, they're tired and they come here and they find out that their wives and children are gone and they have one thing in mind and that is to destroy David. And at that moment, David's looking around. His world is crashing down upon him. Everyone is coming against him. David had not inquired of the Lord in over a year. And at this moment, he had a choice. Do I continue to run from God or do I run to him? And at that moment, I love it. He said they spoke a stone to him. David was greatly distressed, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. And that word strengthen in Hebrew literally means to be fastened upon. David fastened himself upon the Lord. He didn't run from him anymore. What does that look like? My brother and sister-in-law live in Oklahoma and they have a son. He's our nephew. Some of you may know him. He's been with us. His name is Harrison. He's a godly young man. God's got, a, God's got plans for him. But like a, a lot of young people, he, he went wayward. He, 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 he got hung up in, in extracurricular activities and found himself in prison. Before he found himself in prison, his mom and dad didn't know where he was. All they knew is that they were waiting and expecting a phone call that says, your son has been found dead right here. Can you come identify the body? That's what they were waiting on. And at that moment, they're both in ministry. At that moment, during that time in their life, they very easily could have said, God, why? 
We gave our lives to you. We surrendered our lives to you. We're in full-time ministry, and this is how you repay us. We're angry at you. We're mad at you, so we're going to quit, and we're going to do something else. But they didn't do that. They fastened themselves to the Lord, and they got on their knees, and they cried out to God for his protection, cried out to God and trusted God that God would redeem him, that God would save him, that God would bring him back. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Harrison has been out of prison for seven months. He's been clean and sober for seven months and God is gonna do amazing things through his life. But it all happened because they trusted God and they fastened themselves in him. Without God, we're also useless. The word there in verse five, nothing means that. It means absolutely nothing, not even one thing. We can't do a thing. We're useless without God. I'm not mechanically inclined, but one thing I can do, I can use a shop back, okay? Now, we have tile in our house because we used to have carpet in, in our house when we first moved in. We would, it would flood in our house until we got some things fixed, and I got tired of replacing carpet. I just got tired of the knee kick thing. It just was wearing me out. So I said, let's get, let's get tile. So we, I learned how to put tile down, right? And so we have tile down, so now when the water comes in, if it ever does, you just you got a shop back. Yep, you just vacuum it up, right? And so one day we were facing one of those floods and the water was coming in. I wasn't worried because I got the shop back, right? And so I'm sitting there with the shop back, turning on and I'm just like all in this water, vacuuming it all up. And man, it is awesome. It's just sucking this water up. It's great, right? Well, then all of a sudden I, I, I needed to get over here. And so I kind of pulled on the hose a little bit too hard and the hose became a part from, from the machine. But I've got the hose down in the water and, and, I, and I noticed one thing because I'm a smart guy. I noticed that when I disconnected it from the shop back that the hose was useless. It wasn't doing anything. I was still going through the motions, but nothing was happening. How many of us are sitting here this morning? We're going through the motions. I don't want to step on toes, but if I step on your toe, I'm sorry. That's God speaking to you. How many of you are going through the motions? He is the great I am. He is the great I am. He is great, and he wants to do great things through you, but he can't do great things through you if you're like that hose and you're just going through the motions. You got to get connected to the source. We're powerless without him. We're useless without him. Number two, what does abiding looks like? It means it looks like we're intimate prayer with God. Look at verse, look at verse seven. It said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and, I, and it shall be done for you. Now, Jesus is speaking a prayer because he said, if you abide and if you ask, so he's talking about prayer here, but he used a very, a cool word there when he uses the word ask. That word in the Greek literally means to be adamant in your requesting, adamant in your requesting, almost, almost insisting, insisting that, that this take place. But it's a person that possesses faith and boldness as he comes into the presence of God, expecting fully that what he's asking for will be done for him. This is a man that absolutely has faith. When he says ask, that's what he's looking for. Philippians 4, 6 says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The word there says be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. By prayer, that word prayer means up close and intimate. I'm not talking about prayer that you have before you have lunch or maybe even prayer before you go to dinner. I'm talking about prayer where you are crawling up into your dad's lap and you are crying out to your father. That's intimate prayer. We have a dog that's, her name is Sadie. She's a beautiful dog. 
King Charles Cavalier, right? And she sleeps in, in my, oldest, my youngest daughter's bed every single night, sleeps at the foot of it, right? But what's so crazy is that Sadie knows when a storm is coming before any of us does. And we can tell when the storm is coming because all of a sudden Sadie's posture has changed. Sadie is no longer at the foot of the bed. Sadie has made her way up around my daughter's head and literally wrapped herself around my daughter's head. And her face is right in my daughter's face. And we're like looking going, that is so cute. It's disturbing, but very cute. And you're saying, okay, so what example is this? Is that if my dog when he gets scared, knows to run to his master and get up close and intimate. Why is us as human beings that are much smarter than dogs, why do we run away from our master instead of running to our master and getting intimate and up close with him? That's what he's telling us to do. That is intimate prayer. But the supplication means to be passionate, boldness, earnest. You have a father that loves you. Bring it to him. Cry out to him. Passionate about it. People have a problem with this word ask. And the reason I have a problem because they said, well, we, I'm asking for a car and I haven't got a car. I'm asking for a new job. I haven't got a new job. See, that's the problem. You misinterpreted the verse. If you look at the beginning of it, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That word words is rhema, which means spoken words of Jesus Christ. It's the teaching of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus knew that if his words took up permanent residence in your heart, your mind, and your soul, that no longer when you're asking for something of your will, that everything that you're asking is of his will, not yours. Look at what it says here in John 14. 13 and 14, as I flip over to that, he says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now understand this. When you says here in my name, what you're saying, what he's saying is this, in my authority, my authority. When you're asking on my authority, what you're really doing is you're asking on my authority, my will, my purpose, not your purpose. That is what's known as unhindered prayer because now all of a sudden you're asking what Jesus already wants. You're asking on his authority, his will, and his purpose, not your will and not your purpose anymore. For many years, I got the opportunity to coach and I love baseball and I was a baseball coach. And before this, it was a year before the school opened. It's actually Keller Central. I don't know if anybody's from Keller Central or not. But before the school opened up, I was notified by one of the people that was on, uh, on the board there that said, hey, we're going to be opening next year, and we would love for you to be the new head baseball coach there. At the time, I was living, we were living in Bedford, and I was driving to Carrollton, coaching over there. And so when I was approached by that, I was like going, absolutely. I would, why not? This is great. It's in a better place, all this stuff. So we are like, yeah, I, 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 yeah, no questions, right? And so he said, okay, well, we'll get back to you. So we, you know, I went into prayer time, right? I went into the mode of praying. So I even had my family. We all prayed, you know, we're like, hey, let's pray for this or whatever. You know, I even was looking for signs, right? I'd get up on the highway and all of a sudden that central freight line would pull in front of me. I'd go, ding, that's a sign from God. I'm going to be the head baseball coach. That's my sign, right? So I'm doing all the motions. I'm going through everything and I'm praying. A year goes by and they got ready to name their head coach. And guess what? Russell Gregory was not the man. And it hurt. I didn't understand. I thought for sure this was it. 
went into my prayer time that morning and it was the first time I felt like David because I literally knelt down and prayed and got into my father's intimate time with him. And I said, God, if this is not your will, your desire for me to be a head baseball coach, then you take that desire away and you put in my heart your will and your desire. And it was immediate. I got up that morning and went into my wife's room, her room where she was having her quiet time. I looked at her and said, I'm not supposed to be a head baseball coach. And she said, you're not? And I go, no. And from that moment on, God took me out of coaching. We started Kids Beach Club with Jack Terrell. And then God brought me here to be on staff at First Shoeless. I don't tell you that to tell you that I'm more spiritual than anybody in this room. I tell you that, that whenever I began to pray his will, his purpose, not mine, God began to open up doors to where I'm getting the opportunity to be in front of you today. That is his glory, not mine. The last one here, obedience, obedience to God. So not only dependence on God, intimate prayer with God, but what does abiding look like? It's obedience to God. When you look at verse 10, you see the word there, keep. If you keep my commandments, that word keep literally means to obey, to guard, to fulfill a duty. The commandments there are Jesus' teaching. Now, the problem here is that so many people, they look at this, and they say, oh yeah, well, keep my commandments. What they hear, what they see is, oh, keep my rules. You gotta keep all of these rules. This is not at all what Jesus is talking about. See, when we think about keeping rules, we're never able to keep the rules. So what happens is, is once we don't keep the rules, then we feel like a failure. And once we feel like a failure, then Satan comes in and reminds us that we're a failure. And whenever Satan tells us we're a failure, for whatever reason, we believe Satan, even though the great I am is telling us that you're not a failure, we want to believe this because we can't keep the rules. This is not at all what this is talking about. This is talking about having a deep love relationship, fellowship with your father. As a dad, I love my children, every single one of them. But there's one thing I know. They are my children and they will always be my children. I am their dad and I will always be their dad. The relationship of that is secure. I don't care what they do. They will always be my sons and daughters. Now what happens if they may do something that I don't agree with or they do something that's against what I told them to do. And so now what happens, our fellowship is hindered. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about, oh, you need to keep all these rules. And if you keep all these rules, then this mean old God, he will love you. That's not at all what he's talking about. What he's saying is if you will keep these commandments, God loves you already, but then you get to enter in to an unending love, an everlasting love, a love that surpasses all love that you begin to understand, that you begin to feel. You think about it as dads right now. You love your children no matter what. But when your children continue to obey, you're like, I want to do anything in the world for my children because they are incredible children. And the relationship's secure. The fellowship is heightened because of that. That's what Jesus is talking about right here. He's not talking about following rules. He wants you to understand the joy that is going to come from that. See, Jesus took great joy in doing and delight and pleasure in doing exactly what his father asked him to do. Why? Because of the intimacy that he had with his father. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand the character of God. God is love. 
God loves us and he loves his son and he takes great pleasure in his son. And Jesus took great pleasure and delight in doing what his father had asked him to do all the way even to, the, to dying on the cross for you and I. That's what he's talking about here. I love what it says here. He says in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that, you're, that, that my joy may remain in you. And what I, love, what I love about that is that word remain is, is in an active voice, okay? Now what that means is that it means that, that it's being as something that, I, that us can do. We, we, we choose joy, okay? We choose joy. Understand me. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. Happiness is based on circumstances going on around you. Joy is a product of faith, and faith is a real place. You choose to live in faith, or you choose to live outside of faith. Joy is real because you choose it. I told you of the young man that passed away from Oklahoma State. raised by a single mom. She had two sons. She has one now. And to, to do that funeral, to do those funerals, those two funerals, the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I do not wish that upon anyone. But I do look at it as an opportunity and I saw the opportunity and I thought, well, this is a great opportunity for me to be able to share and and to minister to these families. And what I found out is these families ministered to me. As I talked to the moms, and I talked to Sarah of, the, of, of Brandon's Cavazos, and I asked her, because when you see her, she's just a joyful woman. She has a smile on her face. You, 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 if you saw her, you would never know. But behind closed doors, when I talk to her, I know that she's hurting, she's crying, she's crying to God. She doesn't understand, she doesn't agree with it, all of that, she's still angry, all of that. But I said, Sarah, how do you do it? And she says, I don't agree with what took place. I don't agree that God took my son from me. But I choose to trust my God. And because I choose to trust my God, I choose joy. That's the difference. See, when you're hurting, when you're hurting, you have a choice. You have a choice to trust God and choose joy, or you have the choice to run from God and choose bitterness, anger, despair, and all like that. And the hope is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We get to choose joy, and that's exactly what Sarah did. So when Jesus says that, that your joy may remain, saying, I choose that joy so that it will remain, and then you look at that verse, it continues on, and it says, so that, you're, so that my joy may remain in you, and that the joy may be full. The word there, full, is in a passive voice, which means it's not we're doing it. It means it's Jesus Christ is doing it. So if you will choose the joy, Jesus has promised to come along and fill you up and to make you complete and give you everything that you would ever possibly need during that time. That's what Jesus does for us. That's the joy. That's why he's saying, I want you to be obedient. I love what it says in John 16, 22. He says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy. No one will take from you. 
He sees you in the heartache. He sees you in the pain. He sees you in the struggle. He sees you in the sorrow of the world. Sorrow literally means uh, unhappiness. It means grievance. It means sadness, heaviness, all right? But I love this part. But I will see you again. That I will see you again has nothing to do with us. It's everything to do with Jesus. Jesus is the one that's initiating. Jesus is the one that's coming back. He's the one that says I have conquered death. He's the one that says I've overcome the world. He's the one that says I will come back and redeem you. He's the one that says I will come take you home. He is the one that says I have a better place for you. He is the one that says I have eternal life for you. He is the one. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he knows exactly what you're going through. And he says, I have joy. Joy, I have peace. I have everything that you could ever possibly need. He says, I am coming back. I will see you again. Imagine him telling his disciples. They had walked with him and they're going, you're going away. And he says, I'm coming back. You don't know it, but it could be today. It could be today. It could be before we walk out of here. Where are you today? Are you choosing to trust God? Are you choosing joy? My daughter, as I shared with you, it's been a hard year. As I said, my son, my youngest son, his, one of his best friends is the one that passed away. And then four months later, my daughter's best friend passed away. She's tragically killed in an automobile accident. And as I've watched my daughter grieve as a father, you, you grieve. It was one thing to, 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 for my son to go through and go, okay, this has happened one time. Oh my gosh, we're, we're having to deal with this. And four months later, my daughter's going through the same thing. It's like, this shouldn't happen. This shouldn't be taking place. And again, as I'm sitting there watching my daughter going, going through this grieving process, I thought it was a great time as a dad to minister to my daughter. But my daughter's been ministering to me. I want to read something as I prepare, that my daughter wrote that speaks volumes about choosing joy. Again, reminds you, 17 years old, my daughter's 18, grieving the loss of her best friend, and yet she's able to pen these words. She wrote a letter, she wrote a deal to Jesus, and she said, you are faithful even when I'm mad at you, even when I don't understand even when your plan seems like the worst plan ever. And get this, I know you're a good God, even if you never do a good thing for me again. 18 years old, I'm 53. I look at that, I go, I don't know if I could pin that. Choosing joy because she's trusting God. Because she understands that even at a young age that this life is not what we have. We don't belong here. This is not our home. We're only here for a little while. She's able to write that because she knows Tabitha is a believer in Jesus Christ because of the way that Tabitha lived her life, shared the gospel, spoke about Jesus all the time. 
And she knows that even though she doesn't agree with what Jesus, what God did, she knows because of what Jesus did by dying on the cross that she knows she's going to see Tabitha again one day. And what I love about that, that verse in 1622, it says that I will come again and you will rejoice. And no one, no one, not one thing, not one thing, not one person is going to take away that joy. They're not going to be able to take it away. Take, they're not going to be able to deprive you of. They're not going to be steal it from you. They're not going to be able to destroy it because he is coming back and Maddie understood that. These families, the only way they're able to continue on each day is that hope, knowing what Jesus Christ did. Do you have that same hope? I have no idea where you are today. You may be a dad here today and you may be going, man, I've messed up. I haven't been the dad I was supposed to be. I'm telling you right now, it's not too late. There may be struggles going on in your family. You may be hurting right now. I don't know. But I know that Jesus is here. I know he's dwelling here. The Holy Spirit is dwelling here and he wants to redeem you. You may be here today and you may be thinking, what is all this about abiding? See, in order to truly abide, you must first accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because he is the only way. There is no other way to get there. He is the only way to heaven. Maybe you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. If you never have, I'm praying that God that right now God would speak into your heart. And you will come down and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here today and you're like these families. You're like our family that's hurting. And you just want someone to be able to pray over you. We're going to have our prayer team that's going to come down here. There's going to be people down here at the front. They're going to want to pray over you. Allow them to do that. As our prayer team makes her way down here, I want you to understand, I do not want you walking out of this place the same way you walked in. If you are hurting, come visit with them. Let them pray over you. I know it's Father's Day, and I know there's so many things that we're gonna be doing. I'm a father myself, but I'm telling you, fathers, your family will rejoice if you're hurting today. If you're hurting today, Come visit with them. I'm gonna pray in just a moment. When I pray, we're gonna be done. There's gonna be people that are gonna be leaving and there's gonna be people that are gonna be making their way down. If God has touched your heart today, if God has spoken to you, they're here waiting for you. Would you please rise, please stand. Father, I just come to you today just thanking you for this incredible day. Again, just thank you for the opportunity to be able to come into your presence. Father, I just pray over each individual that's here this morning that if they're hurting, that you would absolutely speak into their life. That they would just set aside all distractions right now to hear directly from you. I pray you break down any walls that need to be broken down. Father, any marriage that needs to be restored, any family that needs to be redeemed, that you would absolutely do it. Father, for the ones that are hurting, that you would pour peace and comfort in their lives. Lift them up, strengthen them today, Father, and would you bless them. And I absolutely thank you again for being able to come into your presence. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, for we can do all things to him which strengthens us. Amen.